0: easy-to-engage, on-demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. So are you ready for Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders podcast. And thank you for joining us again. And I say us because a few, well, a couple of months ago, I got a book and I started reading it. And this book is called The Floundering Founder by Roman Segal. And this is my guest for today. We are going to talk about the book, obviously, and the messages in the book, some of them at least. It's very hard to cover all the 24 lessons that he is describing in this book, 24 lessons to refocus your business and better yourself. And that's the beauty of this conversation here with Roman, because we are talking about overall leadership. We are talking about entrepreneurship. But none of them are disconnected to how we are, how we manage ourselves, and how we can consistently better ourselves. And Raman is someone who talks about it so openly and authentically in the book and in this conversation. Um, he talks about mistakes he has made and how he has learned from those lessons, what he is doing now, and what truly, truly matters to him. He uh, talks about some of the methods and tools he uses to better himself, to better his family life, and, of course, his business life. And he's talking about leadership very openly. Once he had started out um, running one of his businesses 13 years ago, up until now, when he runs multiple very successful businesses, too. But the key behind it is that success is a very personal definition. And that's something he highlights very, very clearly. What does success mean to him? What makes him tick? What makes him happy every day? And we all make choices in our everyday life. What's important to us, what we want to focus on and what we want to get distracted by. So he gives some great book recommendations for those of you who feel quite often distracted by social media, by notifications how you can create more quality and presence in your life, some very simple everyday steps. So you can already hear from my intro that this conversation today is going to be wide, it's going to be broad, and it's going to be hugely helpful, impactful. And I truly believe that Raman, in his own very personal way, will leave a super positive impression, but let me tell you a little bit more about him. So he has founded several niche companies and has grown remarketing headquartered in Newcastle with a presence in Boston to a multi million PE packed international marketing agency with over 60 employees supporting clients in the life science space. And today, alongside being an entrepreneur and remarketing's global president, Raman is an international best selling author, keynote speaker, blogger, guest lecturer, and Forbes agency counselor. Member. He's also the co-founder of Lead Candidate, a specialist talent acquisition partner for the outsourcing space and the host of pharmaceutical podcast, Molecule to Market, where he takes listeners inside the truck development outsourcing space. This is all he's involved in. He's doing on a on a regular basis, and yes, he is the most chilled out, relaxed person you can have a conversation with. He took Over one hour and 20 minutes of time to talk to us. So be prepared for a longer, but really rich episode. And that's enough from me. I think it's time to listen to the man himself. So enjoy this episode and I speak to you in a moment. Well, hello and welcome, Raman. It's so lovely to see you again. Hi there.
1: Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me on the show, Kathleen. I'm excited to have a good conversation with you today.
0: Oh, that we shall have. I have literally a whole page full of stuff I'm curious about. And I have to, I have to be really blunt right at the start of our conversation. Because when I came across you for the first time, I had a look at your website and I thought, okay, it sounds interesting. Then I had a look at the book, just the summary, the title. And I thought, oh, that's another business book, how I should find my niche and what I should do to market myself and so on and so forth. But I've read quite a few of those, I have to say, and they were really helpful. And the third thought was, and now I I will find somewhere the sentence, and this is how you can make your next seven figures in the next six months, I promise you. But I didn't find that. Good. (laughs) (laughs) And then I read the reviews about your book and I thought, oh, intriguing. Then I got the book. And then I started reading the book and I broke out in laughter, in particular when I read Fiona's foreword about you. And I just thought, oh my God, that's going to be good. And then I finished the book and I thought this was actually the most helpful business book I've read in a long, long time. And there, there are two main reasons for it. A, the way you write it is just succinct open really authentic and you highlight the messy stuff as well you're not painting everything like pink and it's all going to be so beautiful and it's, it's really kind of easy to to take a few steps but last but not least you come across as one of the most authentic and nicest guys that I have ever come across without knowing them and and when you build a connection through a book I think that's Huge. So, first of all, there was a very long intro from my end, but congratulations to
1: it. Thank you. And I'm very appreciative of the kind words. Um, and it's funny, the words authentic and honest are the ones that keep coming up again and again. And you know, it's quite funny. You see quite a lot of people where they say, Oh, you need to come across as authentic, and almost like it's a thing, but I you know I kind of tell it how it is, and that was a lot of what the book was about. So I'm uh, I'm glad it's it's come across well in that you've you found it useful (laughs) and we'll find out if I'm a nice guy in the next hour or so (laughs) yeah let's see
0: (laughs) so so tell perhaps the audience a little bit more about you so what is it you do where do you do your work and with whom
1: yeah sure so um so I have a couple of businesses and a couple of different kind of platforms but I suppose my main day job if you like is I'm the founder of a company called Remarketing which is a international design digital kind of content agency that specializes in helping companies in the life science sector so primarily what we do is help kind of b2B companies in the pharmaceutical and biotech sector which is a kind of a niche within a niche within a niche and mm-hmm. is a very very specific area that I focus I also have a talent act, like attraction business that focus on exactly the same. Area of the market and um, is very much designed to provide a more sustainable talent kind of attraction model than kind of the the traditional recruitment model, which I found really, really frustrating. So ended up co-founding that business as well. Um, obviously the book, which you mentioned, the Floundering Founder. So you know, very proud that the book's been a huge success at both in, in the US and, and in Europe. Uh, the founder and founder and the other thing I, I suspect that is interesting back to the my companies are i also have a podcast called molecule to market which i suspect for most of your listeners will, will be completely irrelevant and that is fine you know it is a, a podcast that absolutely focuses on the pharmaceutical and biotech outsourcing space so again it's intentionally niche and it's not getting you know millions of listens every weekend that's completely fine that's what it was designed to do so yeah and then I do some other stuff as well and you know I run and have three kids and travel quite a lot and all that kind of stuff so yeah I like to keep myself busy so that's probably a fair (laughs) (laughs) yes Uh, yeah
0: you, you just mentioned you know the family the three kids on the side like yeah you know they are running themselves it's fine but you are a busy man and up until recently you also lived in the states together with your family didn't you
1: that's right yes that's correct yeah so we as part of the development of remarketing we decided to launch a US office back in 2018 and then I ended up moving my family and we had two kids at the time and we decided let's go on a bit of an adventure and we moved to Boston uh, you know in February 2019 which was like the coldest it's not the best time to go to Boston I remember we got off the airplane and my wife and kids had never been to Boston they just trusted me oh wow (laughs) we got off the plane (laughs) and they were like oh my god it's so cold (laughs) and I remember like the first weekend there we went to the aquarium and my young my middle son now but my youngest at the time he went like we were just walking from the uh, the train station to the aquarium and he like he went blue at one point and we oh. were like okay we need to probably put more more layers on the kids so so yeah we had a, a fantastic uh, experience living in boston and then we moved back to the uk and uh yeah and you know a lot of what i've been able to achieve in my career has been very much down to the kind of sacrifices my wife's made as well. You know, she's actually, she's a, she's a medical doctor. She's a an anesthetist in the UK and she effectively put her career on hold for three years while we were in the U S. And so, you know, that enabled us to, you know, enabled me to really go for it with the, with the business. And, you know, not only was it a successful kind of expedition from a business perspective, but as a family, you know, we just, it was a, it was a wonderful time to spend together that kind of quality time together. And it was also during COVID, you know, we had COVID whilst the pandemic hit whilst we were in the States, which you know, was scary because we were a long way from home, couldn't get home and same problem for a lot of people all over the world. And, um, you know, but nevertheless, you know, I look back, I was chatting to my mother-in-law about this last night and, you know, I look back now and I'm like, we had so much quality time together because we didn't have a choice. And, you know, we we're, if we find ourselves having dinner together, so me like on the like we used to have dinner obviously every night together, We'd sit around the table and it felt like you had all the time in the world. And then you know I'm traveling a lot more, and my wife's doing shifts and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's a little bit trickier now. So you know, you know, so tonight you know we're gonna get it's Friday night, we're gonna have takeout, we're gonna watch a movie together, we're gonna sit around the table. But it's funny because we had that every day during the pandemic and kind of took it for granted. But whereas mm. now I'm kind of like, what one amazing experience to just like have that time with your children and have that time with your partner. And I know some people probably hated each other by the end of it, but yeah. we certainly we it definitely bonded us as a family. And uh, yeah, so yeah, very long-winded answer about you know our time in the States.
0: Well there there are a few things you mentioned that really kind of hit me when it comes to leadership as well, because you make choices. I've spoken to quite a few people who said during the pandemic oh my God, I just couldn't wait to escape the family at some point because of work at home, pressure, being tired, homeschooling, and so on and so forth. They didn't make the choice to have beautiful dinner dinners together in the evening to spend this quality time together or turn it into quality time. You made that choice. Now, I could say it made it easier perhaps that your wife uh, didn't work at that point of time, but you are the best person to uh, share insights with us in terms of what did you do to make it such a positive
1: experience? And interestingly, she was, she wasn't working as a doctor, but at the start of the pandemic, she was, she was working for a biotech company in, in Boston, but she was, she was pregnant at the time as well, as we went into 2020 with our third. And then that company went through some challenges and she ended up just leaving that role and then focused on, on obviously you having kind of a baby. I mean, I suppose <laughs> at, at the time, you know, this was a, this was you know early on in the pandemic no one really knew how pregnant women were impacted so you know the the, the advice from the doctors were don't get COVID when you're pregnant <laughs> and and then likewise when our youngest was born in the summer of 2020 there was also the doctors were like you know you guys need to isolate for a few months while the baby's really small so we couldn't send the kids back to school which I remember because God, this is yeah, you because know, it was difficult. You know, we were lived in two bed apartment. It wasn't a big space, and you know, we had three kids, and we're both working. And I'm working from home. We had a baby and all that kind of stuff. But we just, you know, you just made it work. And you know, I mean, we had our up days and down days, like every every family does. But you, you know, I think you know, my wife and I have been together for a long time now. You just have to, you have to give each other that space, and you have to just talk to each other when things are bothering each other and actually just plan like we we still do now you know on a sunday night we'll look at the diary we'll plan our week what are we going to eat this week where are the kids going to be who's picking the kids up all that kind of stuff and you know seems basics really but you know having shared diaries and things like this which is things that we've done for years and you get into a rhythm and a routine and it's never perfect right you know there are always things like who's picking (laughs) child one up but who's picking child three up today and we're fortunate now because since we've come back because because we're both working We've hired a nanny to help us out. And, you know, it's an interesting thing, you know, like you know, on one hand, you know, hiring a nanny sounds like what really posh people do. Right. And at the same time, it's a tricky one where you've both got high pressure careers and you're both earning good money and you both you kept know, whatever you do has an impact. You know, if I don't turn up to work. You know, we employ 60 plus people. That's not a good look and it's not the right thing to do. My wife. You know, she came home yesterday and told me, you know, being a child in a car accident, and she was helping, you know, put the fix the child. You know, it's the, uh, the contrast between our days is pretty stark. Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, you know, now having some help in terms of having a nanny that helps pick up the kids and drop them off and just be around to make dinner and for the kids is is really really helpful and you know very fortunate we're in a position we can do that. But it it works for our family and you have to try different things and, and work out what works for you and, and what doesn't.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the open communication you mentioned is so vital The shared diaries and um, planning together and being flexible along the way yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: Great. Absolutely. And I think just giving each other, you know, we were talking the other day about, um, cause you know, some question came up, like, like am I going to write another book? And I was like, Oh my God, it's such a, it's a, it's, a, it's not an easy thing to do. Right. And, and it's kind of like, okay, how, like, I'm almost kind of like, how on earth did I do it? Like, I'm like, I, how do I find the time or make the time to do it? And the irony is the answer is in the book. <laughs> I actually wrote about it in the yeah. book. And, you know, I remember sitting with my wife and basically agreeing that between, you know, 6.30, 6.40, I get up quite early, but between 6 6.45 every morning for an hour, I, that would be my book time. So even if the kids were up in about, like, I could hear my wife in the background saying like, daddy's writing like, don't, like leave him alone, don't bug him type of thing. And even that, like putting those rules in place and then, you know, the reinforcement of those rules in a family that actually, that's work time, that's actually really dedicated ring fence time and actually having my wife kind of police it and making sure it happened is is what enabled us to kind of find it or me to find the time to actually produce the book, which again, back to your point, it comes from open communication. It comes from just like, alignment and agreeing things and it worked right because you know for a year that's all I did and it and it ended up producing the book which is which is a good a good outcome
0: I can't believe it only took you a year (laughs) one hour a day I assume you added some other some some more hours at different
1: points in time I think one of the things is you like the thinking time. So like I when I'm running and stuff, I tend to look, like that's my thinking time. So ideas, and I would hear po- things on podcasts and be like, "Oh, that would work well. That's an interesting idea that you know I've, I can share some experience on that." But yeah, the whole—I mean, you know—it just shows you know I think very early on in the book I, I use the the Derek Sivers phrase when I think he says, um, "You know, people hugely overestimate what they can do in a year and then massively underestimate what they can do in a few years." and it's exactly the same thing I think for you know if you take even just the concept of a book an hour a day does not sound like a lot mm-hmm. but it's that compound effect of actually that's a lot of time to do something if you put an hour a day to learn an instrument or a language you would mm-hmm. make great progress in yeah. that time
0: True.
1: Um, yeah. you know one of the most frustrating things I have when I just walk around in life and just see people on their phones and I travel so much work and it almost want to shake people when I see them just playing games and on their social media I'm like and I get like some people have to switch off and that might be their downtime and understand like that but I think it's such a dangerous dangerous kind of addiction to be on your phone 24 7 and and so you know again like I cut out quite a lot of social media I made you know that time came at the sacrifice of other things um which again you know obviously I talk about this in the book but you know if you want to if you want to do meaningful stuff and really achieve stuff in life, like you've got to make time for them. It doesn't happen by accident. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I think in one chapter you highlighted it very clearly. If you find yourself scrolling unnecessarily through your social media right now, well, then stop it now and think again. How could you use this time for more meaningful stuff to make progress? Really?
1: Absolutely. I've just read an amazing book called, I don't know if it's behind me actually, it's called Digital Minimalist. By Cal Newport. And honestly, I would hugely recommend it to people and talks about how we become addicted to phones and social media and what you can do about it and things like that. And actually, since I've read the book, I've limited like my social media time, not including LinkedIn, because I use LinkedIn quite a lot for work, but my social media time on other networks to less than five to 10 minutes a day. Oh, wow. Um, it might be five to 10 minutes a week, actually. It might be a week now. I barely. So, you know, I don't touch Instagram or Facebook. I don't do not do the kind of kiddie TikToks and all that kind of stuff. I'm too old for that stuff. And so it, it's just some of the basic learnings around dedicating, like having kind of dedicated time in a week because you get 10 minutes to check and that's it. And, you, you know, it's like building habits in life. And once you do it, it's kind of like, well, yeah. not missing that much. If it's important enough, someone will pick up the phone and ring me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. When do you send it necessarily, or something important through social media? I, I, I don't.
1: Yeah, likewise.
0: I, I assume you're using it for the business, or don't you at all?
1: I use LinkedIn quite heavily for work, but not, not really for you know the nature of our. I don't manage, say, our, the company's account. I don't. It's been a long time since I've managed any of the company's accounts, and then my LinkedIn account we use obviously pretty effectively from a you know from a a profiling perspective i suppose but again you know back to one of the things you said right at the start of the conversation you know i try to put things on linkedin that are happening are real or authentic it's not there's no strategy behind it really like there's no document you know there isn't a plan which is my social media you know it's not perfectly orchestrated to do certain things and you know, over time you know, kind of work out what works and what doesn't you know if i put a picture of me with a family member and talk about the support they've given me or something tends to do really really well or you know if I put something that's overly promotional it doesn't do as well and you kind of work out what works over time but nevertheless you know it's a you know just putting honest helpful shareable stuff into the world and um, but but you know in terms of the company stuff it's been a long time since since I've been allowed (laughs) to post there's always typos when I did it so
0: (laughs) (laughs) same here same here um let's let's talk about your business a little bit more in particular how you lead that business to people in it um before we do that and it might become a mix let's talk about the book in more detail Um, I'm holding it up right now for people who cannot see the video and you can't see the book because I have a virtual background but here That's all we right. go.
1: I, I've prepared one just <laughs> for you, there you go.
0: <laughs> the Floundering Founder is the name of it and we've touched upon it a few times now but let's go a little bit deeper into it and start with the question what
1: motivated you actually to write the book? I'd always fancied doing a book one day like you know that was kind of stuck in my mind and then I, at the start of the pandemic I was chatting to a guy in the US who said oh he's, he decided to write a book and one thing that happened you know I'm talking about time before is i wasn't commuting and i wasn't travelling if i added it up i probably got you know the best part of a day or two back a week in terms of travel time mm-hmm. and so it was almost like okay how can i repurpose that time and do something useful for it yeah. and i just really like that challenge of writing a book like i was kind of like i do enjoy writing like i like you know i've written blogs and put articles and all that kind of stuff and obviously we're a communications agency. I've, I've developed an ability to write over the years. And, you know, people seem to resonate with the content. And around the time I had this conversation, I started getting quite a few requests from people which were kind of like, oh, I, you know, I'd love, you know, you kind of say younger people that were running their agencies, like, what did you do at this point in time? Like, how did you navigate this situation? And I was kind of seeing this, like, pattern of people asking me this stuff. And this kind of conversation I had with the guy and then decided, actually, I reckon I could have a go at it. And, you know, I also was just intrigued by the process and how you did it and what it took. And, and, you know, I I've run a couple of marathons and I really, really compare the process of writing a book to training for a marathon. You know, it's almost like, okay, like how, how are we going to do this? And, and I used a company called scribe media, which is like a, and what they what they did, which is really interesting, is they kind of they did a training course around their technique, writing book technique mm-hmm. at the start. And, you know, I kept I I was there and engaged in the you know two-day workshop and stuff like that. And I stuck to their technique. And then they had these like weekly calls where everyone turns up and discusses how they're and I went to the first few and then realized actually people, quite a few people would turn up just to moan that it wasn't going very well. And What you'd often find is they aren't stuck to it. They're like, oh, you know, I haven't managed to write anything for a few weeks. And I was like, well, that's why you're in this position because you've not followed the instruction. And and so, you know, I found that a really useful exercise, which was almost just building that habit of writing. And, you know, the habit's very simple. is find the time every day and just write. It's the same with marathon running, right? Find three or four times a week and just run. And yes, you have a training plan and and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, back to the motivation, it it was nothing commercial, I would say. You know, the book is actually not directly linked to what I do for a living. So it was never, you don't make money from books, I can tell you that. Unless you're, a, you know, an international kind of, you know, Harry Potter type bestseller, like it's not a, a, a money-making kind of route. It was very much driven by, I think there's some stuff I can put into the world that might actually help people. And that was... That was actually quite motivating for me and with the the selfish piece of i do like writing and i enjoy the kind of like you know you said right at the start like i, I like when people say i like the style of your writing i like how honest and short and concise and all that kind of stuff like there's it's you know, it's like anything like that positive endorsement is is always lovely to receive but at the same time you know, if you're helping people then when the book launched, there was a message I got from someone. I think he posted it on LinkedIn and tagged me and saying, you know, I've read loads of business books, but this is the one that's truly changed my life. And, and it was wow. honestly, like a, an incredibly humbling, almost emotional moment. You're like, and then what's interesting now is I'll get messages from people that I haven't, I've never, I've no idea who they are. And they'll say, I've read you. I got one this morning. Interesting. You're saying, I've just finished your book. It really helped me at where I'm at in my life right now. And just like, what an incredible privilege to impact people positively all over the world without ever needing to meet them. That's a pretty cool thing to do. So, yeah, there's some of the motives anyway that went into it.
0: Yeah, and and I said it in the beginning in the intro. You you really achieved that there. What what I often struggle with, and I had the challenge with the podcast when I started listening to your podcast. When I hear. Um a, a lot of phrases and words that are written by expertise or mentioned um, or talked about by experts, right? But they touch an industry you haven't got a clue about. And mm. you just wonder all the time, what the heck are they talking about? and And there are loads of books out there that speak in this kind of expert language. And yours was just so real. It doesn't paint you as the perfect business guy either. You know, I've made mistakes. This is where it went wrong. This is what I have to learn. Fiona highlights that very clearly. when yeah, yeah. She met you in particular and how you came to work together. And, and I think that makes a huge difference. You connect on a different level with people. And I want to kind of connect that to leadership in, in any business. You've got to think about how you connect with the people. And if you just throw at them what you know and what you have always done, well, nice, but it might not make the difference in their learning and growth or in your connection either.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And actually you make a really interesting point around just knowing who your audience is. And one of the things, right. At the start is you have to, you know, in marketing terms to you know, buy a persona, right. You have to write out, you know, the the, the book publishing company talked about the, the avatar, it's that person who you're gonna impact. And throughout the writing process, you've got to have a really vivid picture who did this person are. So I had two of these people, like two people in the real world who I know. And I knew that if I sat down with these people and had this conversation over coffee, they would benefit from it. Like they would find it very useful. And they might not find every one of the 24 chapters useful, but they would probably find at least half of it useful, and so for me, as I went through the process, you catch yourself at times, often going down a route and being like, mm, "Is this about? Is this too much about me? Is this too much about you?" Know, to your point, what I'm trying to get across, as opposed to how is this actually going to help someone? So actually, you know, you know, obviously you've read the book, and like I try to put practical tools and tips and like stuff you can take away and. And again, you know, thinking of my audience, typically entrepreneurs who have small service businesses, very short on time, often don't have great attention spans. So, you know, I like I love books with short chapters because I feel like I, I could read it for 10 minutes a day. and I feel like I've accomplished something. So, again, that was part of the thinking behind. I wanted to write a book where, you know, someone like yourself could read a chapter a day and actually get some benefit from it. And it didn't feel like a huge heavy lift. Yeah. And, you know, that was, that was very, very intentional. I didn't necessarily set out to write 24 lessons that just kind of happened as I went through the, the kind of the process. It was always a bit, you know, in the book, you know, obviously, it's 50% about the business and 50% about you as a person and how you can better yourself and be the best version of yourself you can. But it was always kind of that 50, 50 split, but I didn't, And that was working with the editorial team at the publisher were fantastic in terms of just guiding me in that kind of process as to how do we make this digestible for the audience and and, you give them what they want.
0: I actually started reading again on a daily basis because of this book. Because I became a mom in 2020 as well. And um yeah, I I kind of stopped reading uh, apart from some baby weaning books and so on and so <laughs> forth <laughs> and uh, now every day I'm taking a dedicated amount of time to read something I enjoy or that helps my learning whatever it is and it's really really lovely and since I started I haven't stopped doing that and Good it feels yeah feels so much better
1: it's incredibly fulfilling I mean how many how many of us or you know are oh, I must I must read more you know I must make time for it Every year you see it with people's resolutions. I didn't really make more time for reading yeah. and no one ever does. And so like, you know, and a big lesson of the book is like, you have to, it's, it's that classic, you know, I can't remember the phrase, but if you try and find time, you'll never find it, but you'll have to make it. You have to make time. You have to dedicate time. And so, you know, for me, it's 10 minutes, it's 10 to 15 minutes every day, every morning, before my kids wake up, I read and over a month. That means I'll get through at least a book a month. So it's you know, so for me, I read maybe fifteen to twenty books a year. Mm-hmm. It's not, a, it's not a ridiculous amount of books, but if I say that to someone who is not reading anything, they're like, "How on earth? How could you possibly? You know, you know, because you've got a busy life and because you're it's ten minutes a day. Like you know, you go back to the social media stuff. Like people burn through hours a day. You know, in on video games or. You know what whatever, and we you know I see it with you know young younger staff members you know that they, they can't concentrate because their phone buzzes and all this type of stuff and yeah. and you know I don't have any notifications on anything right and the, the, you know other than text messages, I have no notifications on any on any of the platforms we use because my thinking is if it's important enough, someone will call me <laughs> so yeah. I agree. Great. Well, good on you, by the way, Kathleen. It's great. Obviously, when you've got a young kid, it's it's really difficult to make that time, but good for you. And I hope you're getting the benefit from it. Oh,
0: uh, totally. And it's exactly what you said, right? 10, 15 minutes. Usually it's getting longer because I'm enjoying it so much. Um, <laughs> but you have, you again, you make choices. Yes, I can sit in front of Amazon Prime, Netflix, whatever it is, for the next two hours. Or I say, no, little one is in bed. Oh, let's do something, you know, something different. That gives me a good feeling. And that's the choice.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Um, You just said something that sparked a memory, actually, a very, very close memory. I worked uh, with a group this week uh, of rather senior leaders. And the big discussion was, that in this virtual world in particular, it was a virtual training session, they really struggled to focus because notifications are popping in all the time and they want to reply immediately. And I thought that was a specific challenge for more junior members, um, middle management and so on, but they were all like, I really struggle with that. And then the phone is pinging and whatnot. And, And we discussed and coached through the whole topic. So, what What is it that drives you to want to read the message right away? What do you think you're missing out on? What's happening when you reply? And then... We went through an experiment in particular throughout lunch break and so on and so forth when they just ignored it basically. And then we had a look from that perspective.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and, and it was fascinating that most of them said, well, nothing happened. And if something urgent happens, they will call me. They have my number and so on. But they really still struggle, understandably in this case as well, to put it into place every day and to start creating this new habit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So how, I, see, I see. How it did so you much. do that? Yeah. Oh, and it's, it's a never-ending battle. You know, there are days where I, I, you know, I look at the amount of time I spend on my phone and my wife and I, you know, back to what we said before, Kathy, my wife and I call each other out quite a lot if we're on phones near the kids. I mean, I suppose for me, what I think it fundamentally comes down to, if you take the group that you're working with, it's entirely unproductive to be, you know, to, to look at your phone constantly or to be, you know, if I'm having a conversation with you right now and my phone bounces up, and I'm doing that. It's gonna take my brain a few seconds. Or actually could take me a couple of minutes to get back, be present with you, and have a conversation with you. And that same methodology works for whatever you're working on. If you're working on something, if you're writing something, or creating something, or trying to put some ideas down, and something's buzzing or something's trying to get your attention, your brain cannot function in a way that can keep you that that productive. And, and honestly, I, I hugely recommend any work by uh, the gentleman called Cal Newport, who he has, a, he has a, a, a book called Deep Work, which is fantastic. And then the book I mentioned before, which is Digital Minimalist, which is, you know, the, the senior leaders that you had the course with, send them a copy of that book because it'll really make them think about, you know, and it is that kind of classic, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out kind of thing. And the reality is, you and I are going to have this conversation. I'm going to miss emails. I'm going to miss texts and I'm going to miss Slack messages. I'm going to miss social media messages. It's fine because actually when we're done, I'm going to go and grab a cup of coffee and I'm going to dedicate 30 minutes to go batch and go through all of them. you know, it's like a, a productivity term of batching, which is about like, if you do things in one go, like you're much quicker at doing them. So I'm going to, I'm going to nail through all the messages and, to the next task that i've got to the day and i particularly see this challenge with younger people but it's interesting because i do see it with people like myself who are kind of further on in their career where it sets a terrible example in my opinion you know i think it sets the wrong example to your team that you can't concentrate and be you see in meetings you know and virtual meetings in particular you know if we're on a if we're on a team meeting i will call people out and I'll give them, I'll chat them first saying, you need to be in the room because you're clearly not in the room. We've, there's people that have left our business who just constantly did it. And it's like, it's, if you have a client on the other side, it's completely disrespectful. Yeah. So, I mean, it's annoying when clients do it, I have to say, but they're paying the bills, they're paying for your time. So you kind of like, you know what? They're, it's their prerogative if they don't want to concentrate. But with our team, if you are on a call with a client, be there with the client, show them the respect. I mean, I would say for anyone, in life you know if you're having a conversation and it's really simple like switching notifications off like it's that simple in terms of you know you can do some really clever stuff on your iPhone I used to do this I don't do it now but the settings in your phone where you put do not disturb and you can have selective people that can override do not disturb so it was a, it was a phase where I was really struggling I, was, I can't remember I was working on some project, and it was only my wife that could kind of i only ever get text from my wife and no one else and because if it was really important someone would go with my wife and then my wife got me type thing and that All was right. my kind of methodology <laughs> and it, like it was probably too extreme <laughs> you know I, honestly one of the things I do now I just turn my phone upside down so I can't see right like it's really not that complicated but I think it's a really hard habit to break that's the problem like we have become addicted there's a, there's a phrase in uh, in one in Carl newport's book and he says uh something like likes are the new crack or something like that you know i like so the new smoking he said yes like you know he's like oh, so notifications intriguing. are the new smoking it's like you know oh i wonder what i've got i wonder what i've got you know and i wonder who it is and all that kind of stuff but it's but chronic distraction right and it's the absolute antithesis of productivity and actually focusing getting really really meaningful work done you know going back to Writing the book that hour in the morning, like there was not, it was me, the page in front of me, and any resources I was using to like ideate, and that's it. Like you, you cannot write a book if you've, you know, distracted or or whatever. And you know, I'm I'm genuinely, I'm still so proud of the book and that that people enjoy it. But it it took that level of dedication and focus. And this is not me preaching by any stretch of imagination. This comes from so many mistakes of of doing it myself where I can where I've been distracted, the quality of work is not as good as when I'm focused. And I also find personally, I don't know if you find this, Kathleen, but sometimes when you're working, you've when you get into it, you're in this, you find this flow in this zone of like you're just flowing into it. It's yeah and you get it with writing. You often get it with podcasting actually where you mm. just deal you be chat in a conversation, you'll be like, this is a really good place to be. And um, you get it with, you know, you, you talk about athletes, so you definitely get it with running. You know, I always remember like, there was one time I was doing a training run and it was like 22 miles. It was a long trip. It was the last one before the marathon. And I was at about 17, 18 miles. And I felt like I was floating. I was, you know, I'd done six, seven months, or so six months of training and I was music's on, you know, and I was like, And you know, like you know, kind of, you're in that flow. You're in that zone. You've your body knows what it's doing, and you are just in that moment. And it's a really magical thing. And I think most of us can get that from our work if we enjoy what we do. But what denies us that is, (laughs) is all the clever digital apps that are designed. They're all designed to get our attention. (laughs)
0: I, I, I'm totally with you. And I remember those moments when I decided to work in coffee shops and you would say you have a ton of distraction around you, which is very true. But for me, it's a creative space. And when I do creative work, I just love being there. I can even look around and I get new ideas. It's a thinking yeah, space. Yeah, yeah. And this feeling of flow is just amazing. You're enjoying your work so much more um, even. And that leads us to one of the key chapters, I uh, think. Uh thinking is a, such an important part of being an entrepreneur, a leader, anybody, really. And that requires us to be able to not be distracted, mm. right? Just by our thoughts, really, that take us somewhere. Yes. I'm a huge fan of the book uh, by Nancy Klein, Time to Think, where she says we basically also in nowadays um way of leading it's it's vital to step back and to build in those pauses so why why is thinking important for you and and for entrepreneurs in general
1: this is such a good question and it's so it's so relevant because actually since i wrote the book i've I've read other books around not specifically around thinking but there's commonality that i see and i'm I've meditated like I've done meditation for quite a long time and, but I've really struggled to bring it into like everyday life, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. like, I, like you do like 10, 20 minutes of meditation and then it's like, all right, I've topped my list and actually the, you want to bring some of those learnings into your day to be able to like, just appreciate the world around you. And there's, there's a couple of like w- different things that I've read. And, you know, one of them was around, you know, the ability to just go for a walk and, not even, And I I have my headphones in a lot of the time because I'm listening to podcasts or whatever. But I've tried to get into the habit of going for a walk for 20 minutes every day. So if I'm working from home, like we live like near farmland, so it's pretty easy to just go for a walk. If I'm in the office or traveling in an airport, I'll just walk for 20 minutes, but with no distractions, right? So my phone's off and my headphones, even though like, so there's nothing consuming me other than my own brain. And one of the fascinating things that I've found in doing it myself, it's almost like experimenting on yourself. It's like, I immediately start thinking of other people and thinking, I wonder how they are. And, and actually like being more thoughtful and empathetic and caring. And I had this, you know, a few weeks ago, I was in in, in the city center and I came back and I said to, and I came back with a bag and, and a couple of the girls, my colleagues were like, oh, what have you bought? And I went, oh, I bought my wife a couple of dresses for holiday. And they're like, oh, that's a really nice thing to do. I was like, yeah, no, it's really very unlike me. And like, <laughs> and the, and I said, I was like, you know it's really weird. I was walking around and I was like, and then I thought about my wife and I thought, like, oh, go on holiday. And I was like, oh, she'll never have time to probably go buy some nice dresses. And and my wife, I'm and I'll you know, I um she looks much nicer when I buy her clothes because I love buying her like because I'm much she did not care about fashion or anything like that. Whereas I'm like, you should wear this; it'll really suit you. Oh wow! So we, constantly, we constantly have this <laughs> argument where I say to my wife, "All oh, was like, All your best clothes are the ones that I bought you." But um, and she's like, "That's fine if you keep buying me, I'll keep wearing them." And but it was, and I said, I was like, "Oh," and I said to my colleagues, I was like, "What's really weird is like, I don't think I would have done it if I had my headphones in because I would have been too consumed with the content or whatever and and all that kind of stuff." And then. I'm reading another book at the minute and one of the, there was a phrase in there which said, I don't know what the specific quote was, but it was said uh, something like the whispers of ideas come to men when they're walking. It's an old quote, but this idea that actually it was about, it's a, it was a book about comedy writing and it was, a, it's about like how great comedy comes up and is the idea that actually your brain does some of its most brilliant work when it's in its downtime. You know there's a lot of theory around sleep, for example, that actually some of the greatest ideas come from your subconscious when you're asleep. But but it, I just really like this idea that actually for 20 30 minutes, if you can, and it's a lot of time, but I try and walk a little bit a day because you can easily be in front of your screen all day, and just taking 20 minutes for a walk just makes me feel better. And but now I've started doing it without my headphones in, and you know, I, for me, that's that's great thinking time. Um, the other thing I would say, I suppose, prior to that is. Again, it's about making that time and like dedicating time for thinking and thought. And um, I don't do this as much anymore, but I, I should do. But you know, for many years, I did something called a create day. So what I did is one day, it was often the last Friday of the month. I would put my out of office on, and I would leave the office, and I would just go somewhere for a day. And it could be like a park, an art gallery. I'd like have coffee. I'd have breakfast on my own. I'd go and have lunch on my own. And the whole concept of the day was to basically take myself away from the business. And I'd often take maybe some articles, it was early on, I'd take magazine clippings and all like, and the whole, the whole kind of idea of the day was to you kind of work on the business or work on myself and not in the business. And actually it was a really effective use of time and some of the really good ideas in the business came from mm-hmm. those days. So we rolled it out and still today in remarketing, Everyone gets a create day a month yeah. and what they're, they're designed to do is, is exactly that is get out of the, get out of the office, get out of the day to day, go think because you'll solve important client problems. You'll solve business problems with that time. And, um, and I know I don't know if we'll come on to talk about, but a lot of this for me has come from from journaling like I journal every day and have done for many years. And I use something called a five-minute journal technique. There's a million of them behind my head, actually. So you can see them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this, I was
1: wondering. Um, so this is like, this is probably three or four years. There's another box somewhere, but I think I've done it for a few years. But it's <laughs> they've done well out of me because these are not cheap. So, <laughs> um, and you know, for me, what getting in the habit of you know writing journaling every day is useful in its own right, but. That the hack that I came across that like I use still to this day is you read it back and you make, you observe yourself by reading it back. And some of the things I've worked out about myself are like, what really makes me happy? What makes a good what things in a day make a good day? What things really annoy me? Like, you know, when am I at my best and my worst? And so and the reason I mentioned that is, you know, we were talking about flow and being in the zone. Like it comes up again and again. Oh, like when you reflect back over time, I'm like, it's a theme that actually I love being in the flow because it means that I'm, ma- I'm I'm mastering something, whether I'm writing, whether I'm running, whether I'm coming up with ideas. I've worked hard enough to get to that point, which is I'm in that zone and like I it always appears in like what amazing things happen today, and I'll often be like, "Oh my god, I was totally in the flow doing this." Mm. And you kind of work out what makes you really tick, and that's quite interesting because it's not always the things you think. It's never money. It's really interesting. It's never like you know. One of my observations about myself is you know I have I know over time you work out you know what things make you happy and what things catch you in the moment, and they're often free. Inexpensive moments yeah. in it's not like you know, oh, I bought whatever, I bought a new watch today or whatever. I mean, that might, have, but yeah, I might personally, the trends are not material trends, and that's quite surprising because you kind of work so hard to make money and you think, well, that's going to buy me this stuff, but it's crazy things. I mean, I'll give you a really you know, it's daft example, but you know, I'll, I'll spend like 10 pounds and get my car cleaned, and I'll look at my car and I'll be like, oh my god, I love my car when it's clean. And it's a, I appreciate that costs money, but it's 10 quid, you know, like what a brilliant day to make yourself feel happy if you're having a clap day, you know? And I'm using that, I'm using that example for me, but you could use or like, you know, we have a, we have a, a a, a lady that comes and cleans the house. And like when I come home on the day where she's been, I'm oh my God, like, like it, it's so tidy. It's the best day ever. I'm like, it's, it's crazy things that cost very little, but actually make you so happy. And, you know, versus I come in, I've got a dirty car and I've got a clean, I'm not a clean freak, by the way. I'm just, they just by chance, you know. So, you know, I certainly recommend to, to your audience and getting into the habit of journaling and then reflecting back on that is oh, honestly one of the, one of the most um, fulfilling things you can do because it really makes you realise, like, what what's important to you and what makes your days and what makes you happy and then you can kind of hack your way through life in that sense yeah. it's not perfect by any stretch of imagination but I often refer back to, and I have a list which is what makes me happy and there's like categories of you know going for lunch with my wife right? like impromptu sort of said like Should we have for lunch like oh my god like it's when you got three kids it's like rare twice a, twice a year maybe like you know and then you talk to each other like oh, Still like each other. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> so it's that type of thing. Or you know, and it, it could be like I'm not going to the office today, but often on a Friday after it's like, should we go get a beer together? yeah everyone. Yeah, let's go get a beer. And it's a lovely moment, and it always makes my journal. Yeah, but you yeah. can kind of manipulate those moments slightly because you'd be like, you'd be like, if I'm if I orchestrate this moment or this thing to happen, it'll not only be good for me; it'll probably be a highlight of their day as well. So. It doesn't have to be a purely selfish act. It could be something that actually my good days are, you know, when my kids are having, have a good day. You know? And it, what I would say is, you know, given all the good stuff, it also makes you realize, you know, what you're terrible at as well, like, and what things you have to work at. And I'm, you know, you know, and so I have a list at the minute of the things that I have to work at, you know, and I like, you know, having better patience with the kids, trying not to shout at the kids, you know, um, getting to bed. On time, and you know, watching that, even you can easily slip into bad eating habits, for example. And again, if you're journaling or, or tracking what you're doing, you kind of see them. You can nip them in the bud a little bit. Yeah, um, you're more yeah. aware, aren't you? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, does it? You know, Tim Ferriss says, you know, what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed, mm-hmm. and this is where technology and tools are helpful. You know, this is where you know i have a, an app called the way of life app and honestly i track so much in there at the end of the day i track all the things that are important to me and it's like a you know red you know, did i you know so for mine for example would be like did i stretch today like yes or no basically and then you know did i did i eat chocolate today yes or no today? did i drink beer today yes or no today and like you know you'll see like in a week oh my god i drunk for five days in a row like that's about like, that I should probably not drink today like you know and so it's a visual it's a, literally a visual thing you look at every day and um, you know it was like a pound this app and i would have paid i would have paid a million quid for it it's obviously it's amazing it's an absolutely incredible thing so yeah i uh,
0: you actually made me remember one of my greatest experiences that was indeed so so simple was to drop off my little one at nursery And on the way back, I uh, grabbed a coffee. Coffee is my addiction, right? And um, went for a really lovely walk, which was supposed to be around 20 minutes, but it was definitely over an hour. But it was so present and just focused and thinking. And it was beautiful. And it made my day. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Completely different level of energy. I love it. And I think it's for you the car, or I'm totally with you when it comes to the cleaner, and you have this lovely house and all of that. These are just those moments where I am so utterly grateful.
1: Yeah, right? yeah, I I agree. And like I'm I'm a i am i am I never realized how much I love a sunset and a sunrise mm. until I started journaling. And like we where we live in in the UK now is we live like on it's not our farm, but it's effectively there's a farm opposite, so it's very beautiful around here, and there's animals and things like that. But the sunset on, you know, on this side of the house. And last night, like the, ent- like the entire sky lights up red. And like, I'll just be like standing at a window like a psychopath. Just <laughs> looking out. And um, it's like, you know, kind of best things in life for free type thing. You're like, yeah. what, I'm, what, like, how beautiful is this? You know, it's absolutely gorgeous. But I didn't realize I liked sunset so much. But it turns out that every time there was a nice sunset, I would write it in my journal saying, oh, my God, there was amazing. It doesn't matter where I am in the world it's like the best free gift (laughs) that humans get every day yeah
0: and I I spoke to another leader this week and he was so hugely self-aware he's doing a lot of the things that you highlighted as well journaling and looking after himself in terms of working out and so on Um, going with the wife for nice coffees and walks but he also said I have a huge FOMO I need to do so many things in the day, um, not saying no to anything. Boundaries is a big topic in the book as well, right? And so on and so forth. And we explored that whole topic. And basically, to cut a long story short, got to the point where we said, if you have FOMO and you follow your FOMO all the time without reflecting, you know, what value it offers you, what experience it gives you, what you learn from it and so on, you're missing out on life. You want to capture so much on life, but you are not present anymore. You, you miss the sunset. Because you're yeah, so distracted by other stuff, right? Or the animals that are right in front of the house and enjoying that together with the kids. Well, whatever it is, and it can create this, this beautiful experience that I would even say memory and not just for us, but possibly for the people around us too, let it be at work or in our personal lives. Absolutely. And that's so important.
1: You're so right. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice that, and yeah. And that kind of formal piece we talked about before is, yeah, it can be quite dangerous, I think, for people. You just you can get your, you know, you. The path doesn't become yours. It beca- you just follow other people's right. It, yeah, you know, you. That's it's an exciting thing. A lot of people get lost in like because they follow other people's paths and oh well I'll do this because they're doing it and they never stop and think about well what do I want to do with my life and mm. I and mean, it does require being a bit selfish and I'm pretty like open about that like if you want to. You know, whatever goals you set yourself, like you're gonna have to be a bit selfish mm-hmm. about them, and you know, no successful people will get there without being a little bit self-centered and actually get de- like you know. It's funny because I see you know I've got friends who are athletes who are very wealthy, you have got good businesses, are really high up, and there's definitely a commonality I see between them, which is often, you know. They are quite. They're incredibly determined to achieve their goals, but they've often got people around them that, like you know, whether that's wife or partner, or kids or family, that are actually aware of it and supportive, and they kind of know. Well, this is kind of this person's thing, mm-hmm. and I think you know, again, back to what you said before, I think it's a great point around just that open communication of saying to your partner or you know, your, whoever it is which around you in life that this is really important to me. I'm really going to do this. Thing. I'm going to stick to it, and. I'm going to need you. So, you, know, you know, my wife started running again. She, well, I say again, she's never started running. And like, I'm very proud of the fact that she is because she's never been able to make it stick. But, you know, making sure I'm around to get the kids when she goes running, like it's pretty basic, but actually, okay, yep, I've got you. I'll get the kids, like go, 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 even if it's 20 minutes. Yeah. I, and it's funny because in the book, I don't really talk about goals, I don't think. But, you know, I set goals at the start of every single year. And I, I look at them once a week. So every Monday, I'll remind myself of what those goals were. And what you find is like, what well, I certainly find is I achieve most of them, but not all of them. And again, you've got to be okay with that because it's, it's a bit of a balance because you know, an incredible work goal may come at the expense of a, a family goal or a health goal or whatever. And there's a book years ago that I read called um, The One Thing mm-hmm. and it's all around productivity. And, mm-hmm. and I think it was in that book where they talked about the concept of counterbalancing. But actually what you find in life is, you know, everyone talks about work-life balance and all that kind of stuff. But what you often find is, you know, if you look at the period of life, it's like a seesaw. Like often one will balance the other and then, you know, flips back to the other way. And that's okay. You just have to be aware of and for, you know, everyone's dials are slightly different. You know, mine are like family, health, work, productivity, travel. Like, you know, the things that are really important to me, like, you have a dial and just make sure you're doing pretty good, at, you know, you're you, you further up the dial on most of them. And if you're really down on the dial on one of them, then it probably makes sense to really think about that one. But yeah, that's it. There's something I learned years ago, which has always stuck with me. I always look at the different aspects of my life that's important to me and be like, well, where do I need, you know, what, one thing I'm really aware of at the minute is like my parents are older, right. And you know, in the last few years you've got friends whose parents have passed away and all that kind of stuff and you're just like god you know, you, you ain't going to see your parents that many times you know it's and it's it's quite a brutal thing to think about but actually yeah. do I go out drinking with my friends or do I just go to my dad for a couple of hours like it's it's actually a pretty easy decision if you think about when you think in the context of like you know t- time's running out which you know not to be too morbid but that's like It's these types of hard decisions I think people like should make in life. And yeah, I agree. Often the right thing isn't the fun thing (laughs) to do. You know, it's often the harder, tougher thing to do. And but you know, for me, I think you know, that's that's something that's for me that's relevant at the minute. It might be for some of your listeners as well.
0: And you know what I notice when those areas, let it be the wheel of life or the dials, as you have described it, uh, when I don't focus on them right? I've Mm. had a year when I literally didn't focus on it at all and it was the first year that I didn't draw it out either. Then things go, I need to find a a better word I can use on the podcast but but then then things aren't as good let's say that right? and I really get out of balance and I'm not really intentional Mm -hmm. I perhaps let go of myself a little bit and so on and so forth so having that in front of your mind and, and visualize perhaps as well um, it's hugely, hugely helpful and really remembers yeah. us to to think about, hey, what what really matters?
1: Yeah. And it's a hard journey back as well, isn't it? If you go down that track, because it often leads, I've seen it in, in with people, really bad health problems, really bad marriage problems, you know, really bad problems at work, and it's hard road back to getting back to that balance. And it's funny because the wheel of life thing I've not come across until recently and uh, i just started doing some coaching with someone and she um the lady that i'm doing the coaching with, she showed me it and and it was just quite useful because actually i kind of do it anyway but not in such a structured way mm-hmm. but to your point i think even just like making sure you're looking at it periodically right i think it's important it's like one of the things one reasons i look at my goals every week i guess because often people set goals at the start of the end they're like they put them in a drawer or whatever and you know you know, I, I have a my phone pops up as a reminder every Monday morning at six thirty in the morning, like these were the goals you set this year. Like and it's kind of a look and it might be a five minute glance, but like like, okay, like well, where am I like like what do I need to do? And like, you know, for example, one of them, I wanted to try and run another marathon this year, and I'm like, time's running out for me this year to do a marathon. And I'm like, I'm okay with that because I'm just like, I don't feel like <laughs> I don't feel like I've got the energy, but I'll like maybe do it next year and I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I've nailed 80% or I'm on that track to 80% of the other goals. And so again, like it's not to push yourself so far that you absolutely detest yourself. (laughs) That's that's not certainly what I'm recommending. It's about getting that sense of accomplishment. Like if I I do 80, 90% of my goals in a year, I'll be happy by the end of that year.
0: Oh, definitely. And I could well imagine having gotten to know you a little bit that there are loads of either either loads of goals or big goals on that list as well. it's a
1: mix of it's a mix of both you know and uh you know one of the goals this year was you know we you know i you know we, we, when we first met the you know we we did a private equity deal with you know for remarketing which meant that you know effectively there's a portion of that business that is now sold to someone else and mm-hmm. that was one of my in you know but sort of, yeah that was you know, that was a goal from from the, probably the year before that we wanted to get that going because it was something that was important to me and, and, the fa- and you know, my family and stage my, my life and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's a, it's a big achievement in the grand scheme of my life, right? You know, whatever way you look at it, it's like, you know, entrepreneurs dream is to build something that someone thinks is valuable and actually hand over money for it. And so, you know, it's, but, you know, that at the start of this year, that was four or five months of solid work with the team to, to get that over the line and that kind of probably set every other goal back you know but to your point it's that combination of like that was a big goal to achieve this year and you know like the book was the previous year like to write the book was a goal and like to get the book you know published and all that kind of stuff and it meant that you know some of the not not all of them are created equally but it's about being realistic and balanced in how you approach them and it's almost like being honest. Well, actually, if I nail this one goal, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a domino effect. You know, if say around health, if actually you, know, you can have multiple goals around health and actually if I run a 10K this year, in order to run a 10K, I'm going to have to cut down on the crap that I eat. I'm going to have to dedicate more time. I'm going to have to, whatever. There's probably loads of contributory goals I yeah. get to yeah. that point. So yeah, you're right. What about you? Do you have lots of goals in a given year? I
0: have, I don't have loads, but I have big ones. And they touch all of the areas of my personal wheel as well. And personal wheel, I mean, business as well. So there's uh, something about a partnership with a a friend and colleague of mine. We have some great ideas how to build another service-based business. (laughs) And we are are currently on the rebranding. And I read on your website that you have done it and it was really painful. So I thought, oh my God, how can we make it less painful? Um, So that's one of the big ones. There is a massive health goal. Uh, for this year on my list that has to be in there. And um, there is a goal that's a bit longer term around where to live as a family. You and I discussed that uh, a couple of times there. Just to be in places more frequently, it doesn't have to be this one specific place, but could be two, or we are thinking about building a house ourselves in France or Italy, where we can spend a few months in the year and just, you know, have a great time and more quality time as a family as well. Changes. um so yeah so that's what we are investigating together and and working on but having those goals is so important i have them on flip charts right behind me uh, yeah so that they are literally in my face all the time
1: that's great a friend of mine he taught me and for the first year that i had he saved it as his desktop so his goals were like an infographic mm-hmm. on the on his desktop so every time he's a tech guy he has a he has he runs a few tech companies every morning when he switches computer on the goals flashed up and i and for the first few years i did the same and that was a really nice idea so i used to have my goals done by a designer so they would do like a little infographic of these goals i could probably send you one, and it was yeah. it, i just thought it was a terrific idea and it kind of and i never got to the point but you know we we had a couple of family goals on there and then we would put it up in the kitchen and kind of remind ourselves of the kind of family goal and all that kind of stuff you can, especially when your kids get a bit older, you can imagine it being a very, um, you know, for example, our joint family goal is, you know, we all want to do a bike ride in, you know, the Alps or something like that. Like for example, like which requires a bit of work to get there. It could be saving, it could be the training, but actually we go do it as a family. So we're all aligned. You could see that type of thing being uh, a really impactful goal achievement for a, for a family.
0: Totally. Totally. And I think what you, not just, I think, what you mentioned before and about the aligned goals, but also the plan is so helpful. We started doing that only this year and man, it shifted so much in our communication less conflict and discussion more alignment more proactive planning but not in terms of I need to wait for you until I plan every step I'm taking not at all it's just a bit more alignment in terms of hey what's coming up for the one or the other next week that I need to be a bit more mindful of and I can be more supportive of that's it right and it brings in more harmony I have to say
1: definitely I agree
0: Hey, there's one more topic that I want to touch upon at least. Um, and I don't have a really smooth segue into that topic. It's very different to what <laughs> we've discussed <laughs> so far. So I'm just diving into it because we spoke a lot about self-leadership, about the family side as well, which resonates for me at least a lot with the organizational way of leading too. But you are a leader in your business and you have been for how many years now?
1: It's 13 years this week, actually. So it's 13 years since I started the marketing. Yeah, crazy. That's, that's quite some time, isn't it? Yeah. So
0: I asked you the question in the pre-chat, how has your leadership changed from the start until now? What is it you're doing differently and how do you see yourself differently as well?
1: That's a great question. And I think, you know, when I started and probably for the first 10 years, I never saw myself as a leader in that light that just... I was just doing what I do, and people came on the journey because they liked either they like me or they like the energy or they like the ambition. There are lots of goals, the reasons why we managed to attract people to the business. It was just exciting and fun more than anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I look now, I'm I think I'm much more self-aware of recognizing that whether I like it or not, I'm a leader in the business. So when I, what, what I say, how I behave, how I interact, people in my business will take something from that. And honestly, I've probably in the last that's really dawned on me in the last probably eighteen months. And I'll tell you a good story about how I got this really wrong, which is you know, I suppose most of my stories of <laughs> failures. I you know when when I moved to the US prior to moving to the US, I had to tell the team. And what happened is originally one of my colleagues was going to move to the U S and we kind of in a business decided we didn't think she was a technical person. She's still with us today, a phenomenal writer and kind of, kind of professional. And, and it wasn't right for her either. She came back from Boston and was like, I don't think this is right for me. And I was like, yeah, it's funny. That Cause I think it needs someone to be a bit more out there and entrepreneurial. She's slightly more introverted. And at the time, i spoke to my wife and said, like, I, I think we should go do this. I think it will be an adventure for the family and it'll be good for the business. You know, so I then arranged a company meeting. We were probably about 15, 20 people Then marched into the room, right? Like, right, everyone, we've decided I'm going to move to America. and I'm going to go set up the business. It's really exciting. It's going to happen at the end of this year. We're going to go through this, blah, 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 blah. And you know, bounced out the room. What I wasn't grown up to realise is how that was taken by the team like and how what that meant to them you know which was whoa our our leader is abandoning us Uh, you know he is leaving us like what does that mean for us is the company going to continue am i going to keep my job like is he ever coming back like who's going to manage us Like. And it's so obvious when I look back now, it's like how unbelievably naive that was. But I just got carried away in the excitement, which is a very entrepreneurial thing to do, which is like you get very excited by the opportunity and what it's going to mean, and without actually thinking about the impact of people. And, you know, I, I compare that to when we told the team in April that we'd, you know, we'd received investment for a private equity company. Like that was a very different. Much more measured, empathetic delivery, which was rehearsed. It was written down. It was, you know, every word was kind of like, "How is this going to come across, and how might people take this?" Yes, it it needed more time, but it was a much more thoughtful way of doing things. And as a consequence of that, I'd like to think that, well, firstly, I think there is a leadership trend that you're aware of the impact that your words have on other people and actually that went really well in hindsight which was people felt like they were informed they knew what was happening it was measured it wasn't like crazy exciting it was just like okay there's going to be a new era for the business and Again, I got team members involved, like our managing director or CEO Emma and Yasmin or head of commercial. Like we did it as a team, as opposed to the first time, where it's just me writing down a few notes probably on the back of a, you know, a receipt or something like that. You know, and it's interesting to see the journey of yourself in, you know, that that's that's the space of four or five years, One very long, you know, 2018 to 2022. And so I think it's a good example of kind of, I think a practical example of like leadership skills. And, you know, for me today, um, you know, some, there's some very basic things in that. I, I do think that when you're a parent, there's a lot in common, which is, you know, you know, you have to set the right tone. You, you, you cannot expect, you cannot expect your team to behave in a way or do things that you don't do yourself. You know, we talk a lot in our business about doing the right thing. So like, I'll go I'll go take the trash out in front of everyone doesn't bother me like I'll go wash the dishes I'll go put things in the dishwasher I'll help whatever needs doing like I would in the house I would I would do that and you know and just living the values like we have four values in our business and a lot of them are probably inherent to me because they probably come from inside me ultimately which is why why the culture is what it is but I'm still conscious of them which is you know that we have to you know you know, one of them is, is is be canny and canny is a word from the northeast of England, which is just you know, be nice, be friendly. Oh, I didn't get that. Be canny. You know, it, be canny. Yeah. Which is like C-A-N-N-Y. It is, it is a really simple idea, but it's just be nice to people, be respectful to people, treat people like you'd want to be treated. And so, you know, inherently we employ people that are friendly. It doesn't mean they're all extroverts. It actually just means that people are nice to each other. and. Again, you know, sometimes as a leader, even if you're having a bad day, you have to recognize that if you are having a bad day and you're, you know, you see, like, I'm going to throw my toys out of the pram because something happened. Like, that sets the tone as well. Like, you, you have to recognize that you're basically saying to people, you know, this is, what, this is how you behave in these types of situations. Whereas, you know, even if, you know, if the crap hits the fan, and you want to scream and shout, you almost have to sit back and be like, that's not going to be helpful in this situation. the situation. Team needs to see a calm person in the room right now and just be a bit more chill and be like, okay, let's take a moment. Let's think about this. Let's regroup, come together, you know. And, and they're two very different reactions, right? To what the hell? What's going on? Whose fault is this, right? And I say this from the perspective of I'm kind of well aware of what the version of me five years ago would have done versus today. And, you know, what I do today will be. Terrible compared to what I do in five years' time. It's a never-ending kind of journey. And so I think for me, that's the leadership pieces. Even if you have one or two people in your business or 50 or 100 or 500, recognising the how important it is to set the right tone and to live the value.
0: And, and you know, I'm often talking about stumbling upwards because, you know, we grow, we learn, but we will stumble Oh, we will make mistakes and as you just said we look back and we're like oh I should have done that differently I could have handled that differently but we we take learnings away from it
1: absolutely and, and you know every you know every cloud has a silver lining and I'm not saying you know I'm I'm not a perfect leader by any stretch of imagination I'm kind of trying to improve every single day I've it and the the bigger we get as a company the the more important it is and I'm not operationally running the business day to day now, you know, and what's even more imperative for me is that, you know, when I meet the team or I see some of the team members that they see me as a very different, in a very different light to what the first few employees saw me. Right. Like, I mean, I'm a can guess, but I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, we had two new starters this and I think people are always taken back by how like, normal and friendly and down to earth i am like i think people because they'll see the book and the podcast and they'll say oh my god he's built this business and like they're almost expecting like someone that oh my god like we can't possibly speak to this guy like he's not going to speak you know and and you hear it in other agency businesses like no one ever talks to the managing director like they're in their office i'm like i'm like sat with everyone else i'm like hey like he wants a cup of tea like i'm going to get coffee He wants one like just be a good colleague Like just be friendly, be nice to people. And I think it's important for me as a leader in our business, just to be, to set that tone. I think that's, that's imperative. And actually it goes back to just being quite self-aware that actually when people meet you, they don't, um, they might have you up here and you might not have yourself up there because you'll just think you're one of the guys, but you're not one of the guys anymore. Like you, you, like they don't, they see you as something different as much as you want to be one of the guys. And and your words can really impact people. And I, I made a mistake recently where, and I'm glad my colleague called me out on it because I would say I would I messaged someone in her team saying, "Hey, if you like, do you mind just if you get a second, just looking at this?" What that individual did is they dropped everything that they were doing and just went straight on that task because, because the founder asked them what to do. Said t- sorry, the founder said, "Can you do this?" Hmm. And, and my colleague was like, "When you do that, this is what happens." Yeah. And so basically now, like, I'll go through her, which is frustrating in one sense, because, it's like, come on, guys. But, I, like, I get it. It's like, okay, and I did it the other day. I was like, oh, I want a colleague in your team can help me with this research for this new office that we're looking at potentially getting, because the individual lived in this city. And she's like, that's a great idea. Absolutely go direct. And, you know, the individual is now really excited because they get to work with me on the project. Again, like, sounds crazy, but, like, and I'm not trying to bring myself up. I'm just, I'm trying to remember when I first started and if the big boss asked you something, you were, you were like, okay, this is important because I don't want to screw this up. But you, it's really easy to forget that, like that mentality. I mean, I've been doing this for 13 years. It's, it's, harder, than, it's harder than ever to be that empathetic, if like, to put yourself in their shoes. But I remember back then and be like, when I first started, if one of the senior people asked you to do something, it was a big deal. And so I have to check myself and remind myself of that these days because it's not something that comes naturally to me. Because mm-hmm. I always think like I'm one of the gang and whether I like it or not, I'm not. Oh my God. I'm one of the leaders of the gang, which is yes. slightly, slightly different. And,
0: and I think there's another message in there, right? I published two, no, I published one, and will publish another one, uh, podcast episode on psychological safety. Under different titles and different angles, but psychological safety. Everything you've just described creates or can create safety, right? Um, I am open. I'm approachable. Let's talk about mistakes. Let's not shout at people. All of this is super, super important. What you highlighted is, however, the other side that makes it so difficult because there's just this part that you have in your hands, in your control as a leader. And then there are all the other team members. And in particular, if they are a little bit less experienced or new in the role, whatever it is, and they have this hierarchical view, right? Oh, the founder wants something from me. That's not in your control. Mm -hmm. You can do your best, you know, to connect with the people and to help them understand what you are about and what you are not about. But still, it's their decision and, again, their choice as well as Absolutely. to whether they want to feel rather unsafe and be overly careful. Oh, my God, the founder asked me to do something, panic, or as to whether they can feel at ease and say, okay, he wrote in the email, it doesn't have to be today. I have time, so I will do it
1: tomorrow and feel yeah, cool yeah. about that. Yeah, and managing those expectations of people, which is almost what I do now, is like I'll literally say there is no rush, do it when you have the sec like the time. Or actually, if you do by the end of next month, like that's fine as well. Yeah. And they'll try and they always try and do it quicker. So I almost like extend the timelines because they want to, you know, over deliver. But the flip side as well, I get very frustrated when, and it sounds like I'm being a diva, where I'll ask someone something and they'll just not even respond. I mean, it yeah. happened this week. I sent a message to, to my team and I didn't get a response. And I'm like, you know, that's not a good look for them, whatever way you look at it. And so it puts me in a slightly awkward position because what I want to do is be like, come on guys, like a you know, bit of respect here. Because if you're doing that with me, I'm guessing you're doing that to the rest of your colleagues, which is, is in a bit of an alarm. But the way I have to handle that now is, you know, we have we have a CEO who runs the business and I'll be like, just so you know, this is, this is happening and it's annoying me and I suspect it's happening. You might want to look at it. And that's it. My work's done. Like I can't be the guy trying to fix all of those communication pieces in the business because that takes me away from what I should be doing and where I need to spend my time
0: yeah hey it's been such a wonderful conversation I can't believe how time has literally flown wow. by yeah right but we have to I feel come like it's been
1: it. a therapy session <laughs> for me honestly like I feel like I feel like I've had a weight lifted off my shoulder which is <laughs> I'm not sure specifically why uh but you know I've, oh, I, want to, I've, I mean thank you for thank you for having me on thank you for for reading the book and for recommending it and you know like I, it's it's been lovely to meet you during this process and obviously get to know you and uh, congratulations on your success and what you're doing but and on, like I can't believe like hour and a half has passed and we've just been chatting. I'm sure we could have just done this all day and written off our entire Friday, which is totally. which is fun, right? So yeah, but yeah, I'm very grateful for for you having me on on your show.
0: No, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, and I agree with you. We could have done it probably for a few days. Um, it's been <laughs> such a pleasure. So much fun. I take the therapy session as a compliment. Um, thank <laughs> you for that. And um last but not least, do share with the listeners where they can uh, find you.
1: Yeah, sure. So the easiest way to find me is just look up my name, romantigal.com. So it's all, all one kind of domain. And then if you go to Amazon or wherever you get your books from and look for the Floundering Founder or just type in my name, and it, it should pop up. So if you look hard enough, you'll you'll find me. And again, connect with me on LinkedIn. Tell me that you heard me on the show. And yeah, if there's a good connection there, I'll, I'll certainly um, accept and yeah start a conversation. So yeah, thanks again, Kathleen
0: thank you and thank you to all of you for listening in leave your feedback with us obviously we are always curious to hear from you what you enjoyed the most what you missed perhaps you have some questions so please get back to us anytime have a wonderful remaining weekend roman have a lovely weekend enjoy the family and speak to you very soon i'm sure bye bye thank you cheers thank you so much for listening to the legendary leaders podcast If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music or on my website www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.